Hiring the wrong executive costs you time and money. Leveraging work psychology, Spear Consulting helps you hire the right executive so you can focus on growing your business. For a free quote, visit spiritmco.com. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Virtuous Heroes podcast. Um, just so excited for today's episode. Ria, I know we've just really started to get to, you know, get connected and, you know, learn about each other's kind of journeys and, and walks. But uh, yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I just like even looking at you, I could just see the joy and uh, <laughs> see the joy that you you bring to the world. And um, so our first question always is, who are you? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I've uh, been looking forward to this uh, all week. And uh, thank you, Christopher, for the incredible work that you do uh, and what you bring to the world. Um, so happy to be here. Um, who am I? Um, in my professional life, um, I serve currently as the Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer for Devereaux Advanced Behavioral Health. Devereaux is uh, one of the nation's leading nonprofit behavioral health providers. Um, we serve individuals from birth to end of life uh, with behavioral health and intellectual disabilities, um, individuals with autism um, in school-based settings and inpatient settings, residential settings, community-based settings, um, supporting them and their extended families. Um, and we, we serve about 25,000 lives a year and we, I like to say, also serve our employees um, and our, our employees, our Devro family of employees is approximately 7,000 um, employees. So um, that's what I do in my professional life. Um, and I, uh, in my personal life, uh, who am I? I'm a mother of a 14-year-old uh, daughter who's just out of high school, um, a wife. Um, and I think my strongest identity um, Christopher, which we'll probably will end up talking, I'm sure about throughout today's um, podcast, is more than my education or any formal training. Um, I am my parents' daughter, um, and uh, that is something that has just been anchoring um, force and a very, very strong sense of my identity comes from being their daughter. Awesome, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you for for sharing in that way. I think the thing that's really kind of on my heart of what you shared is, you know, just kind of wanting to circle. I mean, I, I love, I, please don't take this, this follow-up question as a dig towards like, you know, I think it's awesome to be able to be a mother and to be a wife. In the last podcast episode I just recorded, we did a deep dive around family life. So today I want to kind of focus my follow-up question from you just being able to share kind of like overall is uh, circling back to Devereaux. Why do you do what you do? Um, it's a great question. Uh, you know, there were many paths that laid ahead of me uh, when I was making choices as a young um, adolescent, kind of figuring out my way in the world and what I wanted to do, and actually chose um, the path of um, becoming a clinician initially and, and psychology, uh, which was off the beaten path for where I was being guided by my family uh, and my parents because they all came from um, kind of the private sector. Um, and I think just early on had a calling to connect with people um, and understand people authentically. 
Um, it seemed to be a natural skill. Um, and the journey has led me um, to Devro. I never ever thought I'd be, you know, um, supporting the operations of a large organization. When I started this journey, I thought I would be a clinician and I trained as a clinician and that's where I'm at heart um, and did that for many years. Um, and then found myself in a place where I was given an opportunity that I leaned into uh, more because of need, I think, for stability at that point to enter into the organizational aspects of um, mental health, behavioral health, um, and was um, just very um, drawn to the idea of being able to make a larger scale change. Uh, you know, you could do it one individual at a time as a clinician, and that's incredibly rewarding, and I love doing that. Uh, but then to be able to have a taste of, wow, you know, sitting around a table, making decisions on a day-to-day -day basis, implementing best practices, making the decision about we're going to go in this direction versus this direction. This is a marginalized population that really needs the work and being able to impact that um, with a whole group of stakeholders internally and externally to say, let's do this together was um, so rewarding. Um, and now I get to do that um, at an even larger scale, right? Working with our board, working with internal um, staff here, my team, um, our team at Devra, which is, I think, just an amazing group of people. Um, and all of our employees and our team members and our external supporters um, to be able to do good in the world, I think, is what it comes down to. Um, and to be able to be a voice as an organization for people who don't have voices um, and uh, to be able to do it with excellence. Uh, you know, uh, there's a lot of good that can be done, but the people that Devro serves are the people that really need this work and the support the most. And I think, you know, I truly believe that they deserve the best. They don't, you know, they should be able to get the quality of care that the the best of the best can get, um, and so to be able to to drive that every every day, um, we're not we don't necessarily do it perfectly every single day, but we're always striving to do it perfectly, and we we do it extremely well. Uh, and to be able to be a part of that um, is why I do is why I do what I do, and and love doing what I do. I love that. I love that. Well, well, thank you for sharing. You kind of touched upon a little bit of your leadership journey as well. And I also wanted to circle back because I know, you know, in preparing for today's episode, we talked a little bit about how your parents had a major influence on you. Can you maybe speak a little bit about your your upbringing, how it kind of led to, uh, you know, was it played a part within your leadership journey? Yeah, I, you know, I would say First and foremost, just the luck of being born into into the family I was born into, and to the parents I was I was born to. I think luck. That's that's all luck, right? We don't choose our families. Um, I uh, grew up in India, Christopher. Um, I was born in India. I grew up in India, and I stayed in India. Was educated in India through my adulthood. I came to the United States for graduate school. Um, I was born. My parents. Um, you know, we were middle class family. We were comfortable. Um, they were people of great faith. Um, I like to say that my education and really who I am as a leader came from not so much what they said, but what they did. Um, I My earliest memories, even before I could talk, I think, um, as a child was, and right through my adolescent years, was 
um, I have this mental image of my dad. Um, he would every weekend sit in, you know, what we call a balcony um, outside a house, and there would be a steady stream of people from all walks of lives. Many, um, many, many people who walked through our doors and came to see him were poor. Um, they uh, did not have resources. They did not have connections. Um, and he would sit there and listen to their stories. Um, and he would help in any way he could. Um, you know, there was a phone right next to him, the kind back in the day that was still plugged into the wall, right? We can't relate to that anymore with the dial, but um, they would come and some of them needed hospital admissions for their family members. Some of them needed their kids to be admitted into school. Some of them needed financial resources. Um, and my dad would pick up the, he would listen to their stories. He would validate them. He would, I would hear him. I would sit on his lap for my earliest days, listening to him talk to these people. Um, and he would, what struck me was nobody left empty handed, right? And it wasn't about giving them a thing. Um, they either left with a connection or he solved their issue, got their child admission, picked up the phone and called someone he knew. And it was all about just using his relationships, which was another leadership lesson, right? I mean, he was not a wealthy man. Uh, we did not come from, uh, in some, you know, uh, unlimited resources. All he had was the strength of his relationships with people and that people respected him and knew he was doing good in the world and wanted to be a part of that, right? And there's a lot of parallels with, with that for my leadership journey um, and the role model he was. And sometimes it wasn't really giving them what they needed. Um, they may have come for resources and he might not have been able to make the connection or he wasn't able to reach the person for the hospital bed and get them the hospital bed. Um, but when I say nobody left empty handed, they always left with hope. Um, they left with somebody who listened to them and respected them regardless of what their what walk of life they came from. And they always left feeling whole and they always left feeling heard and validated um and so those were my those are my parents um and growing up uh you know we had people come live with us um we had uh people children who came uh who lived with us um from you know more rural areas people who were part of um kind of our support network their family members and i remember growing up and i would be doing my homework on our dining table after school next to a child who my parents were allowing to live with us and who were educating, right? And those were my playmates. And they came from a very different background um, or socioeconomic background than I did. But the lessons of social justice and the fact that we're all equal and they sat at the same table as I did, they ate with us, they lived with us for months. Um, we took care of them when they had, you know, they had to come to the city uh, to to get treatment in hospital. And so they lived, we lived in the city. So they lived with us because they were getting treatment and they were part of, for that period of time, they were part of my family and you know they were like cousins mm. uh, who lived with us for that period of time. That, I think that spoke volumes in terms of, you know, you're not better than anybody else. My parents could have preached that, but it was more actions. You're not better than anybody else. The home is always open. You do what you can for people um, and you always do the right thing. And I think those, those were those were lessons that no higher education um, or leadership academy uh, could ever could ever treat ever teach anybody. Right? It just becomes part of who you are. It becomes part of your DNA. Um, so that that was my that was my upbringing, and I'm incredibly grateful for it. As an older, being much older today, and raising my own child, 
mm-hmm. I look back and I say, gosh, how, you know, how do they do it? And how do they do it without necessarily reading books on parenting and, um, you know, having all of the resources and exposure that we have today as adults? Um, it just, they, that's who they were and they just imparted it. How many, uh, how many, how many uh, siblings did you have? And was this like a, was this like a, I'm just curious, was he like a missionary? Was was this like his full-time gig? And then from being able to help people, like there was just like people that supported his ministry or what What did that look like? Um, so I am the youngest of three siblings. Um, interestingly, both my sister and I, my sister started in the private sector and moved to the public sector as well. So, I mean, the upbringing must have had some, mm-hmm. some kind of impact as well. But no, um, this was not his full-time gig. Uh, My father was a journalist. He was a sports editor um, of one of the leading um, newspapers in India. Mm. Uh, That was his profession from the very beginning and his education. Um, And my mother actually didn't have very much education at all, but um, through hard work, um, rose to be a very senior um, executive at a multinational global uh, firm. Um, but this was not his full-time gig. This was just, um, you know, he's, he, he, both my parents grew up in, um, families with very deep-rooted faith. Um, in their own way, they came from humble beginnings. Um, and the culture was, uh, just rooted in, you know, in Indian culture. Um, it's a, it's an extended community. Um, you know, families live together and, uh, it's just, it's rooted in you do what you can for your neighbor. Um, and you share uh, what you have, right? Uh, and so this was just, I think, his own upbringing, um, and uh, it just it just carried through uh, to his life. Um, and and I saw my mother do that as well, uh, right? In her, she was a rising executive and a full time mom. Um, in those days, not easy in a, in Indian culture to be a woman um, rising through the through her career. And um, today, you know, almost 25 years after she has retired, she still has people whose lives she touched in her professional journey, who she helped along the way, who stay in touch with her. Uh, so it was just naturally who they were. They they believed in lifting people up to the greatest extent and helping people realize their potential. Um, so I don't think it's any irony that I work for an organization today whose mission is to unlock human potential. <laughs> I, think it's come, I think it's come full circle. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So so where does faith and leadership intersect for you? Um, I think very much like my parents. Um, you know, I am a person of faith, um, and uh, it's very important to us and our family. Uh, it's not something... I necessarily like my parents wear on my sleeve. It's more of a matter of um, it's just there in how I think I, I, I live and operate in the world. Um, and I think the intersection um, for me comes through the it's rooted in in servant leadership, right? You're there first to serve others and put other people first. It's not about it's not about you. You're, the belief that you have time here um, on this earth and The goal is to try to actualize and become the best person you can be on your individual journey um, and also um, help others along the way to the extent that you can. And it's a kind of shift away from narcissism to just try to do the best you can for the most people. 
Um, the other intersection, I think, for me, and I think it's really, we've lived this. Devereaux has always lived this. I think it's part of Devereaux's um, DNA. Um, it's that idea of you're never quite a finished product, right? You've never quite reached the end. Even when you get really good, you've got to push to get to great. Um, and when you get to great, you've got to push to get even, even beyond that. Not for yourself, but also to make an impact to the larger social system, the larger ecosystem that we all live in. Um, and so that the idea of introspection, right? This is difficult work. It's it's difficult work as an individual professional. It's difficult work to operate in the behavioral health care space, mm. uh, nonprofit behavioral health care space. It's not, it's not perfect on any given day. There's lots of challenges. And one can, as an individual or an organization, um, take a look and say, you know, oh, it, it's just too hard. And there's all of these excuses and all of these reasons why this is too difficult to do. And, um, you know, when you make a mistake or things don't go perfectly, there's a hundred reasons why you can explain it away, right? And Or uh, where that intersection occurs, it's, it's that introspection of saying, yes, this, this occurred, but how can I, how can I look at myself? How can I look at the organization? Um, and how can I do it in a way that just drives to get better? Because it's rooted in values in the same way as faith is rooted in core values. You, it comes back, right? That's your North Star. It comes back to what your core values are. Um, organizationally, it comes back to what our core mission is and what our core values are. So those things, the criticism, the challenges, the the roadblocks, the um, the one-offs here and there, those are that's noise. Um, that's noise um, that takes away from what the core purpose is, whether it's your core purpose as a person or it's your core purpose and mission as an organization. And I think that's where, for me, the interest, the intersection comes in. Is you've got to take a look at yourself, and that's when you do your best work, organizationally or as an individual. No one should have to grieve alone. Cassie's Foundation is a community dedicated to supporting you through the loss of your child by offering real support from others who've experienced the same. Go to at Cassie Foundation on Facebook to learn more and consider donating to the Ms. Foundation today at MsFoundation.org. Well, I'm glad you say that because, you know, the show is really heavily rooted in, in introspection and, and being able to kind of, you know, look at our own lives and, and what has been some of those, uh, you know, what are, what are some of the ways that we naturally have strengths and, and those act out in, in the different, you know, uh, virtues that, that we walk in, but then also like, you know, what are been some of the ways that we've had to, you know, get out of our own, own selves in order to you know be the leaders that we are today and but now that said just curious like you know what type of vices have you had to overcome in order to be the leader that you are today many people are surprised people who know me today are surprised um to learn that i was somebody who was not very confident and had a lot of self-doubt um in the you know early stages of of my life um I was fortunate that I grew up in a nurturing family with unconditional love and 
you know, how I did in school or struggles that I had um, didn't really play into the kind of support and love one felt at home. I think that was the key difference um, for me. That was really what helped that strong, give me that strong foundation on which to then launch, right? Um, but I would say the vices uh, early on were, um, I, I'll talk about early on and then today. Um, I think early on it was just, you know, self-doubt. And um, I think I'd even go to the extent of saying fear, fear of trying new things, fear of, you know, am I good enough? Fear of, can I do this? Fear of, am I um, am I letting people down? Am I letting my family down? Am I letting, uh, and then in professional life, am I letting my colleagues down? Am I letting my supervisors down? They've put so much hope in me. Am I delivering, right? Um, I think the fear of moving to another country, um, you know, just lifting oneself up. I was in my early 20s when I, I came to the United States for further education. Um, and the fear of, am I going to be able to survive? Um, I did not come from a lot of means. So it was really, you know, I came with some, initial support, but it was really making my own way after that. And, you know, will I be able to do that? Will I be able to navigate all of the challenges of successfully um, kind of making a life here that I can that I can survive and I can thrive? Um, so all, all of that, I think, was, you know, overcoming, overcoming all of that. And I would say the only way to really have navigated that one was um, I was fortunate to be able to lean on people emotionally. Right? I always had that strong support system of family, parents I could talk to, really talk to. Um, and then eventually, um, of course, my family, my husband, um, who's a, a rock, uh, uh, an absolute rock of support. Um, and, you know, having people like that in, in my journey and friends. Um, and also, um, you know, being able have having those people hold a mirror up to yourself right when you're having those moments to say i saw you do this um this thing and you know i, I was amazed that you were able to do it even if it's a little thing and that gives you confidence to try more to take those chances um so i would say in the early phases uh that was certainly uh, a vice to overcome um today uh as a leader um in in kind of the role i'm in today christopher um I would say one of the vices um, I'm trying to overcome is I've been told um, by my colleagues, I've been told by family, I've been told by friends, uh, people who work with me that I, I have a tendency to move fast, um, be very fast paced, have very high exacting standards and expectations of others. Um, and that sometimes it's hard for people to keep up with those expectations um, and also the pace, right? Um, and that is something that is a constant work in progress. I'm sure there's others as well I can think of, but I would say that was, that would be something today that I'm actively working on and trying to overcome because going fast at high speed or, you know, having very exacting standards and expectations and just and going at it unrelentingly, guess what? I'm going to be going at it alone. Uh, if I don't have people coming along with me and I'm not sensitive to what other people are going through um, and how to balance having those high standards, because going back to what I said earlier, the people that we serve at Devereaux deserve those high standards. So how to balance driving those and at the same time, authentically and inclusively motivating people to come along with you on the journey 
um, I think that's the the balance that I'm working on striking every day. Um, and also that it's not sustainable, right? That level, that base is not sustainable for me, nor is it sustainable for the people around me, um, for them to have healthy, happy, balanced lives. So, uh, and I don't think I'm alone. I, I think I'm sure there's tons of people listening to your podcast, leaders, yes, who, <laughs> who, who are relating to that. And I think that in the last two or three years with what we've been dealing with um, globally, I think as leaders were pushed to really pay attention to that even even more, right? Because people deserve the best of us um, and we can't do it alone. So you've got a, every single one of our employees, every single one of my team members has a story. They have a family. They have, they, they are someone else outside of just who they are at work and they bring their full selves to work. Um, and what we want from them, what we need from them on a Monday is not the only thing that is being demanded of them. There's a whole lot that's being demanded of them outside of who their work pers- personality is, right? Who they are at work. So. Um, that has been something that I think I, I don't I know I'm not alone uh, in having to be more learning to be more sensitive and attentive to the whole person. So what are what are some so if if someone's listening today and is like recognizing, wow, I've been kind of the same, you know, hard charging kind of version, which ultimately may not be, you know, as empathetic or or being able to be as sensitive to, you know, others' journeys, et cetera. What have been some of the practical tips that you could advise that have worked for you to kind of, you know, start to kind of soften this approach? Um, I think first and foremost, it's a constant prioritization organizationally, right? Because we're, for example, we're a large organization um, and there's a lot we want to do. And there's a lot that we would like to do. Um, and I think in any given moment in time, you've got to set realistic expectations about what's most important. What's going to make the, where is the biggest impact needed? And you have to align your effort and your energy um, towards that. And, and you've got to have organizational pace and strategy uh, because that's what sets the tone for everything everything else. You can't be scattered um, and do a million things because you're not going to do anything well. Uh, you've got to really focus and hone in. So I think that on an organizational level, I would say is something that we've worked very hard on. Uh, and we have a really good system um, today about how we set our strategic goals and how we focus on the key areas, how we base ourselves. And it's a constant refinement, right? Um, and then the other is, I think, um, is really important, and I think it comes to authentic leadership, is you have to create an environment in which people feel comfortable pushing back um, and really pushing back, where you, you don't just say, I tolerate differences of opinion. You don't just say, it's okay to disagree with me. You don't just say, it's okay to challenge me or challenge my way of thinking, but you actually genuinely embrace it, and you set a tone in which people actually feel invited and very comfortable to do that. And I think that that starts with how you function as a leadership team. Um, I think the reason I'm happy at work and I can bring, I can bring my whole self to work authentically, right? And I, we have that culture at Devro with our leadership team. 
at the highest level, um, a CEO sets that tone in the way he leads the organization. I feel very comfortable saying to him, I see things a little bit differently. Um, can we talk about it? And I, I, I feel extremely comfortable saying that. Our team feels comfortable saying that with each other. And then I think working for myself, I would say, creating that atmosphere genuinely with the people that I work with in my team um that's really important because people need to be able to tell you when it's too much or when it feels scattered or when it doesn't feel focused or when their teams are struggling um so that you can adjust um so i i that's that's what i would say to to listeners who are leaders who are trying to navigate this this have a genuine atmosphere in which that's tolerated and not just tolerated embraced yeah yeah we've uh that's something also that we really work on heavily at spirit consulting and interweaving it uh through the values of the organization too and also wanting you know we 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 really try to focus on hiring consultants that are you know really strong in emotional intelligence to be able to you know be able to have already have that in their tool belt of the courage to be able to have those difficult conversations and, and um, be able to, you know, mentor up um, as well as being able to, you know, go externally too with our clients and being able to share where maybe some of our clients are off the rails too. And, and being able to share that point of feedback and recognizing that it's an opportunity to help people to grow and develop. And as you said, like if, if people are going down wrong pathways to be able to kind of pull back and, and share, um, for the sake of recognizing that this is in their best interest of being able to help them grow and develop in that way. So, no, I think that that's pretty key and, and critical and, and love, uh, you know, being able to share on that. So I know we kind of dove further into kind of like, what are some of the things that you see as opportunities for your own development? What are some of those areas, Rhea, where you just feel naturally gifted within and, um, yeah, I would love to hear some of the the virtues that you feel that you've been blessed with. Um, well, it's hard for me even today to talk about to talk about myself in those terms. So I, I guess the first thing will be, um, I think it comes from humility. Um, I think I think um, I think that would probably be my number one. If I was to identify a virtue, I think it's humility. Um, it goes back to kind of those roots of, you know, really believing you really know better than anybody else. You're just all on a different journey. Um, and I think from that humility, um, again, you know, talking about my my early years and upbringing, I think that ability to relate to just about anyone um, on a personal level in an authentic way, um, you know, whether uh, it's a high powered executive uh, or a, a politician, um or someone in very senior leadership, uh, or it's uh, a family member, or a, a client, or a, a, a one of our you know direct care staff. Um, I I don't really see a difference, right? They're all individual human beings, and um, I think there's a consistency and authenticity in interactions um, that's genuine. And um, it sounds it it sounds small. But I think it's it's huge um, in in being able to drive positive change forward when you can really listen to people, you can really connect with them and understand, um, and that they feel like 
um, you are seeking to understand, right? To be able to do do mm. better for them, no matter who they are, um, and that it's really genuine. I think um, soft skills, you know, that's what that's what they that's what they're saying these days, right? Uh, is almost everything's going to be automated. Um, a lot of the a lot of the hard skills, the technical skills, you know, as we advance in the next two decades, there's going to be significant automation, and the the gap, the skill gap is going to be on the soft skill side in terms of critical thinking and relatability and being able to really work with teams um, and that um, interpersonal um, skill set, uh, intuition, those kinds of those kinds of skills are going to be harder and harder to come by. Um, and I would I would say that um, those are probably some of my my strengths and virtues. So I'm fortunate um, fortunate to have had early great role models to have learned them from and then opportunities along the way and incredible mentors and role models along the way, including up to today with the team I work with um, that model that for me uh, today and I'm constantly learning from. Yeah, I think the, you know, whenever I, I try nowadays to try to stay away from praying for humility because it ultimately creates a lot of, you know, very difficult moments in life to have to walk through, you know, and, and um, I mean, what you said of like, you know, from your upbringing and I could see how, how, you know, being able to have those early life lessons of having, you know, the family all around and then having people that are going through, you know, different uh, sufferings in life to be able to like be living with you as well. I, I mean, I think that definitely, you know, if you think about like the modern American kid that like, you know, is just super entitled, that's <laughs> like, has every like device and, you know, like just, you know, we're living in, in an age where, you know, that most of the times that we live, you know, more affluently than like kings and queens from, you know, hundreds of years ago that didn't have television, they didn't have air conditioning, they didn't have, you know, the internet and the ability to have any information readily at your fingertips. Like we are, we are definitely living right now in a very big season of, of blessing. And, um, yeah, but I, I mean, I could definitely see how, you know, your upbringing and what you had communicated is definitely allows you to be the, you know, humble leader that you are today. And having those such critical skills of being able to have empathy and seeking to understand from people and, uh, you know, wanting to really have those skills or having those skills that allow you to to connect with people at a deeper level than, you know, what is just really surface level and common interests, et cetera. So, well, thank you so much, Dr. Fernandez, for being uh, with us today on the Virtuous Heroes podcast, where we inspire virtuous leadership. And uh, yeah, really look forward to continuing the dialogue with you as well. My pleasure entirely. It was very enjoyable. Thank you. And thank you again for the work you do. Hey, Chris here. Hope you enjoyed this episode. To continue to grow in virtue, will you please subscribe to the Virtuous Heroes podcast on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify? Or you could also visit us on the web at www.spiritmco.com. That would be tubular. Hope you have an awesome day.